0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com.
1: Remember it for the rest of your life. No, of I bet. I bet. Wow. Well, you guys have a lot All to right. deal with uh, besides yeah, that today. We do. So, have a great show. <laughs> Thanks, Connor. We'll catch you tomorrow. And hello, and welcome to the Hill. Leaderless for 22 days, but now House Republicans have finally found a Speaker
2: of the House. The Honorable Mike Johnson of the state of Louisiana has received 220 votes.
1: That was the moment there. Louisiana's Mike Johnson officially sworn in this afternoon as the new top Republican in Washington. So who is he? What are Democrats saying? And what comes next? Plus, President Biden's first news conference since the war in the Middle East. The commander-in-chief asked if he's demanded Israel delay a possible ground invasion. We'll show you his answer. And a judge earlier today demanding Donald Trump actually get up and sit in the witness chair. A fine and a warning for the former president. The Hill on NewsNation starts right now. By the way, there is news on Jamal Bowman. Remember the the fire alarm pulling incident? That just hit our inbox. We'll get into it in a second. Hello. Thank you for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Scott Bolden, the former D.C. Democratic Party chairman and a legal analyst. Nan Hayworth is the former Republican Congresswoman from the state of New York. Dan Cannonan, Democratic strategist and former Obama campaign official. Kara Frederick is the director of the Tech Policy Institute at the Heritage Foundation. And joining us remotely as well, Mick Mulvaney, of course, the former Trump White House chief of staff, News Nation, political and economic contributor as well. Hello to you all. We start, of course, uh, with the news now after three weeks, the stalemate in the House of Representatives is over. Mike Johnson, the congressman from Louisiana, elected the 56th Speaker of the House earlier this afternoon. He received every Republican vote on the House floor, the first Republican to do so since John Boehner back in 2011.
3: Our system of government is not a perfect system. It's got a lot of challenges, but it is still the best one in the world. And we have an opportunity to preserve it. And we want our allies around the world to know that this body of lawmakers is reporting again to our duty stations. Let the enemies of freedom around the world hear us loud and clear. The People's House is back in business. All right, so
1: let's start here. Uh, the former Congressman, Mick Mulvaney, the former Congresswoman, Nan Hayworth, Kara Frederick, uh, over at the Heritage Foundation, big uh, you know, cons- conservative uh, group here in Washington. Mike
4: Johnson, who is he, Mick? Um, look, I don't know him very well. He got elected in 2016, started in 17 when I left to go down to the White House. But I've met him several times. Uh, a good, okay. solid conservative. He was the chairman of the Republican Study Committee. Uh, as serves now on the Judiciary Committee, along with Jim Jordan, Is also a, a minor position in leadership. He was the uh, deputy whip or something like that. Well-regarded and obviously not hated by anybody. That's really what they had to try and find is somebody who's <laughs> sort of acceptable to everybody. Um, that was the barrier, huh? Not hated them.
1: by everyone.
4: <laughs> 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 listen, <laughs> when, when, when you're on when you're on twenty three days, why not? That's uh. That, that, right, right. Listen, what, the guy yesterday said he wanted to well, like a box of donuts. We had a yeah, member yeah, of Congress on the yeah, show yeah, yesterday he said, said that. It's a job and
1: donuts. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I think. Listen, he's he's got now the the hard the easy part's finished. Now he has to actually has okay. to be the speaker. That's going to be the hard part. So it's going to be uh, a challenge, I think, yeah. moving forward. But at least they've got this particular hurdle behind them. Nan, what do you make of, of Johnson?
5: Yeah, you know, he seems to be a man of sterling character. He is, I, I believe, a Marine veteran. Uh, he seems to be a, a very solid family man. He has a deep uh, religious faith. And that is, on a personal level, uh, we hope will be conducive to the kind of calm the waters uh Demeanor that he demonstrated when he spoke to the the Congress. Uh, As Mick said, he's, you know, uneasy lies the head that wears the crown, so to speak. So he's got, (laughs) uh, I think he would be wise to concentrate his fellow members on issues that unite them all, which tend to be fiscal issues. Hmm. So I'd like to see him focus on those and not on other issues that may be uh, more contentious.
1: You happy over
6: at the Heritage Foundation? Oh, we are very, very happy. Because I think, Why? simply, he he's a man who has his priorities straight. Just look at his Twitter handle. His Twitter profile says, Christian, husband, dad representative, in that order. So I think this man, yes, he's very socially conservative. We at the Heritage Foundation are as well. So um, he's a guy who, who frankly, prioritizes what we prioritize. He is a servant leader. He said that explicitly. He remembers why he's there. It's not because of to serve the interests of the swamp. It's to serve the interests of the American people. We like it.
1: All right. Hello, Democrats. Okay. So
6: <laughs> Beyond that...
3: He's the chief architect to overturn the election results with Joe Biden. He wants to criminalize uh, abortion, and he wants to change Social Security and Medicare as we know it. The Democrats are going to hang this on not only the Republicans, but also on um, their new speaker, along with Donald Trump. This doesn't move the ball forward. And I believe he voted to shut down the government or was one of the holdouts that um, and was against McCarthy. This doesn't move the ball forward. And you would think that they would either join the Democrats in a coalition or find a moderate Republican that was willing to compromise. He's far right. He's not compromising. And he's going to face the same challenges as McCarthy, even though he's the far right.
7: Yeah. It's an extreme caucus, Blake. Yeah. And they elected an extreme leader. Yeah. Folks don't know Mike and he does have this sort of milk toast demeanor and he looks sort of like so someone called Mike Pence one time Rush Limbaugh on decaf. That's kind of how <laughs> he comes across here. <laughs> I think that's kind of like, you know, fooling folks a little bit in this moment, but he is a true believer where McCarthy was a bit of an enabler, kind of a chameleon yeah. in the house, whatever he needed to do to stay in power. Pragmatist. This guy, you know, he called homosexuality a, a deviant sin, right? Immoral, unnatural, right? He, he's, he's for total bans on abortion, both in Louisiana and federally, as, as Scott said. Uh, he is going to be called Mega Mike and for a good reason. And remember, congressional Republicans did pretty well in 2020 when Biden won. This could be an anchor around their neck in 2024 in the reelect. Wait, so Hold
3: on. He's Jordan without the firebrand. He doesn't oh, throw yep. bombs, but he's just like Jordan. He's just quieter. I agree. Kind of more presentable. Not good. Sounds like Democrats and
1: Republicans are going to get along just like they were before all this. Yes, yes.
6: (laughs) It's the same old story. And no, he he actually is measured in a lot of regards. He wants to curtail spending. He wants to curtail government growth. I think everybody, given the state that we're in, we're uh, in debt up to our eyeballs. And that should be the case. Hold
1: on. Let's get get Mickey in because you're you're laughing.
4: I I I, I, I love it when, when Democrats complain that all Republicans do is look back to 2020 and then we nominate somebody. All they want to do is look back to 2020. So Scott and I can talk about that later. Look, here's the bigger issue, okay? And we're not talking about it, which is this. Come on, man. He doesn't have the relationships. He doesn't have okay. the relationships yet, okay? Steve Scalise has been there forever. Jim Jordan's been there forever. Kevin McCarthy has been there forever. He's going to, listen, they rallied to him today, and I think that's fantastic. He's going to come under some real serious mm. tests really quickly. He's going to have an mm. easy little vote. On, on Israel, but that he's going to have to vote on the funding for Ukraine. But right. he's going to have to keep the government open, mm. and he doesn't have those long-standing, decades-long relationships with these people that just gave him the gavel. So it's going to be right. curious to see. I'm going to be curious to see if he can absolutely, if he can, if he can maintain this sense of unity that he comes into office mm. with today.
1: All right. Well, right after Johnson's speech uh, at about in the three o'clock hour here on the East Coast, members of Congress started finally to get back to work. Right after the speech, I caught up with the Oklahoma Republican congressman, Josh Burkeen, right after he left the chamber. So are you better off today
2: than you were 22 days ago? Look, we've we've got a Speaker of the House that's elected that is highly respected. He is somebody that people are inspired to follow. Um, so much of you know, in my ten months up here as a freshman member of Congress, there are a lot of people who will you know vote for someone, and it, it, you know it's been systematic, it's been right. built into the, the process that that person would ascend to that position eventually. Um, but what you see in, in the last 24 hours is a very organic, mm-hmm. uh, authentic enthusiasm for Mike Johnson because of the character that he has. I hear ya. Um, but are you better
1: than your than your conference today than you were three-plus weeks I believe ago? I we'll,
2: we'll uh, walk out of this and suffer no harm um, okay. in terms of our ability to deliver uh, an effective agenda. And look, we're, we, I think Mike, in his heart of hearts, uh, is going to excite, um, because of who he is, is going to excite the grassroots. And um, he, he represents bold colors, not palpable Um What happened— now he's going to have to negotiate
1: with the commander-in-chief. I mean, yes. he's the top Republican right. in this town. Joe Biden's right. been here for decades. Right. Uh, this is his first leadership role. What happens when he gets in the Oval Office one-on-one with, with the president? I
2: think Mike uh, he, he even alluded to it a minute ago, yeah. um, that he is going to um, delegate. Uh, uh, he's going to pick uh, good people, and he's going to seek a lot of counsel. Um, I, he possesses servant leadership, and... Uh, I think any good leader knows that you get uh, smarter people than you put in positions to help you and aid you and, and deliver upon uh, your agenda and your mission and your purpose and your values. Um, abortion. He was for a national abortion
1: ban in swing districts, uh, these you know, 20-something swing districts. Are you going to get the ad cut? Mike Johnson is with Donald Trump, and he supports a national abortion ban. I, and, and, and put those sort of moderates uh, in, at play in
2: 24. I think what you would get from Mike Johnson is somebody who is a constitutional attorney. I think he's somebody who studied the Constitution. I think he um, would look at uh, the way the Constitution ends and says, of the 12th, which ties us into the Declaration of Independence. And The Declaration of Independence says that uh, the form of governance uh, for uh, this country that we live in is to secure the right of liberty, uh, life uh... in the pursuit of happiness what a, well, and and so because life is intrinsic to a document that ties into the constitution he is advancing the rule of law what would you say to those
1: who are worried that he supported the texas uh... signed the amicus brief with Texas as it related to decertifying the election in four key swing states?
2: I think that constitutionally, if you look at what uh, the constitution says, it says time, place and manner. Again, it goes back to somebody who um, is respected as a constitutional attorney. I think I don't want to speak for him, but I think anybody who is looking upon the true intent of time, place and manner to be turned by the state legislature. Mm -hmm. um, He has a valid uh, ground, Pennsylvania, Arizona, when you have judiciary that is usurping the true reading of the constitution. Um, look, our founders, our founders, Je- Jefferson in particular, said it's a naive position to think only that the judiciary determines constitutionality. When it says specifically the Constitution, the state legislature determines time, place, and manner, and you have these states that extend their voting because of a judicial decision, that's in direct violation of the Constitution.
1: You're walking over to, this is the Capitol, uh, Canon Rotunda, where like a lot of the interviews are. We'll leave you here. Um, three weeks, there could be a government shutdown. What happens if he ends up cutting a deal with Democrats the same way that Kevin McCarthy cut a deal with Democrats. Are, are, are you doing this all over again in, in
2: 20-something days? I think that Mike Johnson is a conservative uh, in his core. And I think uh, Mike will do what most good leaders do. He's going to lean into the conference, and we're going to come out with a good product. People support that which they help to create. And I think Mike's going to give everybody a chance to, to really have a seat at the table, and bring about the best negotiating position we can have for a Democrat-controlled Senate and a Democrat Congress. I'll leave it there. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.
1: All right. So, Mick, Nan, Kara, um, I, I asked the congressman twice. Are you better off today? than you were 20-something days ago. And I, I don't think I got a yes or a no I got. The answer was, I believe we will walk out, will walk out of this and suffer no harm. Hmm. Are you better off now as a party today than you were three weeks ago?
4: It's the right answer, though, right? I mean, you can't—if you say yes, then it's a slam on McCarthy. If you say no, it's a slam on Johnson. So it's the right answer, and I, I don't blame him for, for not giving you a straight answer to that question. I know you don't like to not, you know, not get straight answers to straight questions, but it's, it's not helpful to him to say that. I, I thought it was positive. Um, that's, a, that's a good attitude to have. Keep in mind, that's a freshman member of Congress. Yeah. Um, so his experience here is what? Less, you know, a year maybe? Um, so he, he, he doesn't really know what the speaker is supposed to be doing in an ordinary Congress, but uh, listen, that's, that's better than the alternative, which is, you know, I don't know. I don't like Mike Johnson. I gave him a chance, but the first time he screws up, I'm, I'm, I'm moving to vacate the chair. So, um, you know, I think it's marked that in in a, in a, in a win column for Mike. Mm -hmm.
6: Yeah, I think, you know, what I really keyed in on in the interview was when you said, when he said grassroots. And we have been looking at a grand old party that is out of step with Main Street. And what does Representative Johnson want to do? He wants to secure the border. He wants to rein in spending and he wants oversight over the Biden administration. He was in favor last month. He said single subject, separate spending bills. Mm-hmm. That is what the regular Americans, regular conservatives want to see. So I think this is, again, as Mick said, this is a positive development.
5: The job of the Speaker of the House is to speak for the house if you will so he's really got to be the person who uh... who sells if you will uh... the the policies the ideas that the house republican conference was elected to represent and i think to the extent that he can do that in a way that unifies Uh, The United States, which is obviously uh, deeply divided in a lot of ways, but I think he can unify Americans if they concentrate on the issues that directly affect all of us. And right now, those have intimately to do with border security, national sovereignty, the economy, uh, and how we manage... Uh, all of uh, you know a world that seems to be falling apart before I
1: stand by I'm not holding you back (laughs) I promise because Democrats are already going after the newly minted speaker here was the House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries earlier today
3: Uh, Mike Johnson wants to criminalize abortion care and impose a nationwide ban Uh, Mike Johnson was one of the chief architects of trying to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election Mike Johnson also wants to end Social Security and Medicare as we know it. Those are extreme views, uh, and House Democrats will push back aggressively
1: against that. Biden campaign today, Dan, was calling him Mega Mike.
7: Mega Mike is right, and I'll always yield my time to the, the, the future speaker, Hakeem Jeffries. <laughs> but look, that interview you did with a member from, from Oklahoma, I believe, was, yeah, I think, really lot. telling. Um, you pressed him on abortion. You pressed him on overturning the election. There was no even inkling in that interview of him moderating on either of those stances. Mm-hmm. No, That's no. what you got. An extreme mega conference elected an extreme mega guy who sounds nice But he is a true believer with some dangerous views, and it's going to be an anchor around Republicans' neck in 2024.
3: It it doesn't move the ball forward unless, and maybe Mick and I can agree on this, unless he can keep his conference together. Mm. Those four or eight or those eight conservatives who are uncompromising – Mike's never been, the new speaker's never been in this leadership position. Can he keep that conference together? Can he lean in on them and keep the government open and keep them reasonably and have a working relationship with Dems? That remains to be seen. Mick, last
1: word. What about what Scott said? And really that, and that was the last question in the interview, is what happens in three weeks?
4: Yeah, real quickly, I did talk to a couple of members today after the vote, and what they said was that they think that Mike is going to have a long leash or they're not going to be... Hmm. Uh, no one is interested in going back into another motion to vacate and doing this again, so he may have some, hmm. uh, some latitude here as you go through the next big bills.
1: All right. Some breaking news that I mentioned right off the top of the show. The Democratic Congressman Jamal Bowman now facing a misdemeanor charge after an incident last month, do you remember this, where he pulled a fire alarm... In a congressional office building, member of Congress pulling a fire alarm. Now, the congressman said at the time that he pulled the fire alarm by accident because he wanted to make his way through a locked door as Republicans sought to initiate voting on a spending measure to keep the government open. Now, Bowman is being ordered to appear in a D.C. superior court tomorrow morning for his arraignment. Scott, real quick, what does this mean
3: for the sitting congressman
1: pulling a fire alarm? You saw it there on the picture.
3: They got the tape of this. So he's not denying that he did it. He's given a reason for it. I'm not sure that's a full defense, uh, but what will it mean for him and his district, if you will? A misdemeanor isn't exactly something positive, it's not a felony, but it's super embarrassing, quite frankly. And to be honest with you, um, why would you do that with cameras I don't in know. a government building <laughs> and so forth and so on? I mean, yeah. it just, I mean, the term idiot comes to mind, actually, and I'm a criminal defense lawyer. Just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Does he have, real quick, does he have a defense? His defense is that he oh. didn't have the intent to break the law, to pull the fire alarm illegally. His intent right. was to open a door. That is a defense, but in, remember, the, in misdemeanors in D.C., he'll be before a judge, mm-hmm. So the judge will make a findings of fact and be the uh, decision maker on the law, and is he, is he credible or not doesn't sound too credible sounds physically. like you don't
1: want the case all right I take it. <laughs> you take it
3: i need a i need <laughs> my retainer what's the what's the rate? <laughs> oh all
1: right, up. as the speaker of the house was chosen president biden was at the white house taking questions about the war between israel and hamas now mick says a deep state threat could sabotage the president's approach in the middle east what does mick mean about that we'll ask him when the hill on news nation returns All right, welcome back to The Hill. Uh, This just happened at the top of the show, hitting the inbox a a moment ago. Now we are learning Jamal Bowman, the congressman, will plead guilty. Uh, According to the attorney general's office here in the District of Columbia, he will pay the maximum fine that we believe is in the area of $1,000. So there you go on the congressman pulling the fire alarm. Well, President Biden today, uh, by the way, spoke earlier in the Rose Garden during a joint press conference with the Australian Prime Minister. He issued a stark warning to Iran in the wake of recent drone attacks on American bases in the region. Watch.
3: We have had troops in the region since 9-11. My warning to the Ayatollah was that if they continue to move against those troops, we will respond and he should be prepared. It has nothing to do with Israel.
1: Uh, Let's bring in Mick Mulvaney Uh, because you had an article today in The Hill that caught our attention, Mick, and here's what you wrote. Will deep state sabotage Biden's Israel
4: policy? What do you mean? Yeah, the deep state is is a term that not a lot of people like. It's really just shorthand for bureaucrats in the federal government who can't leave their own personal politics at home when they go to work. And when they go to work, they think they are policy makers as opposed to policy implementers. And there's been a growing, what the what one left-leaning newspaper this week called a, a brewing mutiny at the State Department, to the point where Secretary of State Blinken actually had to write a, an all-hands letter essentially calming people down and saying, you know, yes, we do support Israel, but um, mm-hmm. there's a very strong pro if there are strong pro-Palestinian folks at the State Department or very strong anti-Israel folks at the State Department who are unwilling to leave that, those politics behind when they walk through the doors of the office then the Biden team may have a difficult time following through on what I think up to now have been really, really strong words and really, really solid actions. But they might have a mutiny from within if they're not careful.
1: You know, I, I, there was something the president said there in that soundbite. He said, my, my message to the Ayatollah was, as the former uh, chief of staff over at the White House, are, are we to believe that there was direct conversation there or is he... Was that a misspeak? Back-channeling? Like, when you hear that, I'm wondering what you make of it.
4: Yeah, I, I didn't think about it. You just said it. It just—I would never occur to me that Biden actually picked up the phone and called the Ayatollah. That okay, was a message that thought, was conveyed right? yeah. through appropriate channels. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, All right, what do you make of what what Mick wrote? And and he says the president's doing a good job up until this point.
6: Yeah, I mean, as a former member of the deep state and the intelligence community can (laughs) confirm he's exactly right. And I think it comes down to this. At least 32 Americans were killed in Israel at least around 12 were taken hostage, unaccounted for, presumably dead. We've had attacks in eastern Syria on U.S. bases. Well, we don't, we in don't, Iraq. Know,
1: we don't know that they're presumably dead. Pre- I, we I'm know sorry, that presumably uh, taken hostage. Yeah, Excuse me. Yeah, yeah.
6: Yes, and we've been attacked in eastern Syria. We've been attacked in Iraq. We had to intercept cruise missiles, uh, um, probably from the Houthis uh, off the coast of Yemen. There can be no equivocation here. This is an American issue because Americans were killed. So I, I think he has to stay strong no matter what priors people bring to this fight
3: can't you um be pro-israel a pro-two-party state be supportive of palestinians the president said the president brought that up
1: today and not brought up the future a potential future two-state solution
3: exactly and they haven't implemented that uh, and uh israel's current leadership isn't supportive of that but this this the pro uh, palestine uh peace in the government and in the public is not only real but it, it it doesn't mean that's to the detriment of israel you you can be both i think and i'm not splitting hairs but you got people dying and Mick, do you agree with that dying on both well, sides you know, I, and I, that's what you're that's the pushback I, you're hearing from the congressman, yeah, as I, well as from some of the uh, pro palestinian pieces they're seeing death on both sides and we're just talking about Israel being attacked by Hamas. That's the
5: don't
3: only way to
4: think about it, I think. Yeah, I, I, Blake, I don't necessarily disagree, but I think we're losing sight of the fact that the Hamas is actually what the closest thing to an elected government in Gaza. It's not the Palestine mm-hmm. uh, authority. The, these are, the, the people want to make it out to be that Hamas is one specific group and the Palestine people who are there are an entirely different group. I don't know if that's entirely fair. As well. I mean, Hamas gets its people from someplace. It gets its support from someplace. Yes, yeah, but it they're not all terrorists, from though, Mick. Iran. They're
3: not they're all they're terrorists, not all I agree terrorists with you. Mick. And, they should, and, and I agree innocent that. Palestinians in Gaza, and given the conditions they live in, should not uh, be subject to indiscriminate... Uh, war or bombings. And that's what you're hearing from the other side. I don't think people are against Israel. I think they're saying, let's be fair here. And I think the administration has been uh, the, the uh, Israelis, Israelis have not gone into a ground war yet because they're working on getting the hostages out and working on, I think on a humanitarian piece, even Israel and the U.S., on make, moving people north or south or wherever so that they are not in harm's way.
1: And last word here,
3: we have to
5: bear in mind here, though, that uh, although the Biden administration has been saying the right words and taking some right actions during this post October 7th period, uh, they have facilitated capital flows. Uh, running into the billions of dollars, enriching the Iranian theocracy that cannot be denied. And it is through policy that the Biden administration has voluntarily undertaken and that has sabotaged both Israeli and American interests in the Middle
1: East. All right. Um, Alex Gangitano, White House reporter for The Hill, come on in because you you wrote an article on The Hill today as well. U.S. shifts tone on Israel-Hamas war as potential ground invasion looms. Uh, we heard from the president today. Uh, what about this this shifting tone as you see it?
8: Yeah. Hey, Blake. So what we've seen over the last few weeks is the initial response from the White House, which was a really strong. We are supportive of Israel and their fight against Hamas. We will do whatever it takes to support Israel um, and we want to back them. And now there's a lot more conversation about humanitarian aid. And we're seeing top White House officials want to talk more about, you know, that citizens or civilians are on the ground in Gaza not getting enough aid food, water, and these uh, trucks of supplies need to be able to get in. And we're hearing talks about the White House calling on Prime Minister uh, Netanyahu to hold back on a ground invasion until that aid can get in, until these hostages can be released. So this is kind of a slow-moving shift. We've definitely seen it building up over the last few days, that they've been focusing a lot more on what's going on on the ground, while also still towing the line of supporting the Israelis.
1: All right. Alex Gangitano uh, live at the White House, friend of the show, uh, White House reporter for The Hill. Alex, thank you. Programming note, by the way, uh, for tomorrow, the retired U.S. Army general and former CIA director David Petraeus joins Morning in America live with his insights on the ongoing war. That's tomorrow, 6 a.m. Eastern, 5 o'clock Central, right here on News Nation. But coming up here on The Hill, troubling legal developments potentially for the former president, Donald Trump. He is under a limited gag order. Three lawyers have flipped and a report that his former chief of staff just might have been granted immunity. What does it all mean? Joining us, one of the former president's former White House attorneys. That's next here on The Hill.
4: He's a very partisan judge with a person who's very partisan sitting alongside him, perhaps even much more partisan than he is.
1: All right, so that statement right there from the former president, Donald Trump, got him into a little bit of trouble earlier today with the judge overseeing his civil fraud trial in New York. The judge then took the extraordinary step this afternoon of calling the former president to the witness stand about whether that statement violated the judge's gag order. The judge then fined him 10000 bucks and warned him not to do it again. Trump then briefly stormed out of the courtroom during later testimony. He then returned. Mick Mulvaney is back, of course, uh, the former chief of staff. <laughs> also joining us... <laughs> Why are you laughing, Mick? Uh, also joining <laughs> us, May okay. Mailman, former Trump lawyer... Every time Trump does uh, something stupid, Trump you White come House. to me. So.
4: Huh? <laughs> Every time Trump does something stupid, you come to me. I get that.
1: So. You were the chief of staff. I mean, I, I don't ask yeah, you to, just to speak for his actions, but but all right. So let's let's start with May. Hi, May. Nice to see you. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, Trump um, gag order. The judge sort of slapped him on the wrist. Ten thousand bucks. Basically told him not to do it again. It is he need to be worried about this stuff or no? Well,
0: he's going to do it again, right? So the <laughs> he did it twice today. So he got fined. Five thousand dollars, and then made the exact same comment and got fined another five thousand dollars. But I think another interesting development in gag order land is that the ACLU, chief Trump hater. I mean, I don't know if there's another group that hates Trump as much as the ACLU, and and there's a lot of competition. They filed a brief in support of Trump for to remove the gag order in his DC case, and I Hmm. see this New York judge cruising to show people that gag orders are, are un, unconstitutional in the vast majority of circumstances, and I would say in this circumstance as well.
1: All right. Um, what about the issue of three former lawyers? May, you were a lawyer in the Trump White House, uh, not a you know, personal attorney in, in the White House. Three former lawyers that had represented the president, or at least were involved with the president, have flipped in the Georgia fraud case. What do you make of it?
0: Yeah, so I'm not going to use the term flipped because we don't okay. know if they are going to say anything against Trump. We don't know what they know. We know that Completely. they are saving right. themselves, right? So they right. they got themselves out of jail sentences and instead got slaps on the wrist, and I think that that is reasonable. Um, should Trump be worried? So here's my my theory, basically, is that anything that comes into Trump's head comes out into the public. So it's unlikely that there's a lot of secretive information, a lot of secretive conversations that we don't know about, because the Trump that you see publicly is often the Trump that exists privately. So, no, hmm. it's not great for him to have people agreeing to testify against him, to you know be getting themselves out of trouble in order to offer something. However the likelihood that there's a bunch of secret information just doesn't align with the, the person I think that we all know.
1: You know, and, and then, and then, Mick, obviously, we learned yesterday that uh, there's a potential immunity deal for Mark Meadows, the, the former chief of staff. Same question to you. When, when you see all of this, it feels like not, not snowballing, but it's, it's like drip, drip, drip in the Georgia case. Um, how worried should, worried should the former president be, either in that case or, or even beyond?
4: You know, Scott could go into the details of what it takes to cut a plea deal and the proffer of evidence and so forth, but it yes, sounds like exactly. these folks have, have gone to the prosecutors and told them what they might say, and that has value to the prosecutors. So I, I think Trump should be concerned. I May's mean, right about the, the gag order, by the way, but I think there's two different ones. The, the hmm. gag order in the, in the, in the uh, Washington case it prevents him from talking about people he's running against for, for President of the United States, which is bizarre. The one in New York, I think, actually prevented him from talking about members of the court. So there might be a subtle difference between those two things. But her bottom line is correct, which is that um, uh, Trump is going to do it again. There's no question about it. He, does he hate paying the $10,000? Like you wouldn't believe, uh, but he's got it. And um, he probably got more than $10,000 for the press out of it.
1: Could, could it could it escalate right? Because like $10,000 yes. 10, bucks doesn't mean anything to it, it Trump. It may not, but that's a lot for the
3: average person. Oh, of course, and, and it's rare. But that it's that a dollar average. to him or whatever. But but he walked out of the courtroom and violated the order. I mean, he just can't stop talking now. He took the stand because when you violate a court order, the court has to make findings of fact and make a decision and t- and and rule on the credibility of the witness. And so, what's even more powerful about this is Trump took the stand. Uh, The judge questioned him. He said he was talking about uh, the witness, not his court clerk, and the judge made a finding that he lacked credibility, he didn't believe him, and fined him $10,000. I don't care whether the ACLU is supporting him or not. This judge is making a record, and while gag orders... but on, you don't care if the ACLU is supporting him or not? It doesn't matter, because... May, may finds it as... She finds it extraordinary that they would do that, but the ACLU represents everyone's liberty, not just Democrats or liberals, everyone, but what what he's making, this judge may the record, so he can go up on appeal if you want. But he made a credibility finding. gag orders are rare. Mm. Obviously, it's it's um, it's very protective, First Amendment and what have you. But but at the same time, you cannot at um, you cannot attack the administration of justice. Talk about court employees in this political environment, and that's the finding that the court made. The, it's going to be made. It's going to be upheld.
1: Does any of this matter politically?
7: More interesting to me is not just the three attorneys that have taken plea deals, but Mark Meadows giving mm-hmm. testimony, I think Rudy Giuliani will be next. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm not attorney. be next for what? For Cooperation. some. For, yes, exactly. Uh-huh. And I'm not an attorney, and I defer to Scott and DeMay on, on the actual uh, 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 prospects here, but it seems to me that the core case against Trump on, of interfering with the election Thanks. was that he understood that what they were saying was false, and they pushed anyway. That's key. And that's key. And Mark Meadows and Giuliani are in a better position to say and than anybody to prove that he understood this stuff. And so, yes, he can talk. He says a lot of stuff that's indictable in some ways. But that's a key piece of evidence they need to get from those two, and they can probably get it now.
3: And whether they're cooperating or whether they've been charged and cut a deal, there's got to be a proffer. The government doesn't have to grant you uh, immunity or not charge you or or cut a deal and let you plead to a misdemeanor. The government has to know what your information is, and if they and you proffer it, and if it's if it if it's valuable to them to prosecute up and down the chain of defendants, then they'll do that deal.
1: I want to get May in because she's in town for a big time event tonight. Uh, but May, what, the last the last word here to you.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> there there had to be plea deals, right? So uh, Fannie Willis had to cut sweetheart plea deals because she cannot try 19 defendants get before the election. Obviously, what she wants to do is to try. It, it It is impossible. the judge was laughing at the the um, timeline that she proposed, laughing, so i I just think that it was always going to be the case that plea deals yeah. were going to be offered. It was always going to be the case that they were going to be very sweetheart to incentivize other people to do the same, and once you get that cascading effect, I think that, you know the hope is that Trump either please or yeah. you know there, there's no one left uh, there's no one left to defend him. all right.
1: May Mailman, thank you. Good to see you, Mick. We got you in studio tomorrow. Is that right? We'll see you tomorrow afternoon. Awesome. Thanks, Mick. All right. Thank you both. Coming up, a breaking point in the Big Apple. A new poll shows that New Yorkers are fed up with the migrant crisis. The numbers, they're, they're big in a Democratic state as well. We'll break it down when the Hill on News Nation returns. Hot-button issue. These two have been going at it during the commercial break. Uh, It is a hot-button issue for the Empire State. New Yorkers are weighing in, and they think it is a mess. A new Siena College poll shows that 84% of registered voters think it is a serious problem in New York. Only 12% don't consider it to be a major issue. Dan, here's what caught my attention on this. This is a blue state. This is as blue as they get New York. 48% of Democrats... Disapprove of the president's handling of the migrant influx in New York, 72% of independence. We talked about this a bit yesterday.
7: I think it's important context to understand what's happening at the border because we talked about it in the context of Hamas and Hezbollah vulnerabilities. Right. Mm-hmm. There, there is a mass of people, record numbers, granted, coming from Central and South America. They are largely fleeing cartels and political despots, and they are in terrible straits, right? We do not have a border system that can deal with that. We don't have the judges. We don't have the the uh, asylum officers. We don't have the security. The Biden administration has a supplemental proposal into Congress for 1,300 more patrol officers, 1,600 more asylum officers. But it's been
1: too little too late. For, I mean, the administration's been but been But look,
7: come this. to the table and talk
1: about this for real. But the thing that, that,
7: that I get upset about is the idea that we're gonna demonize all these folks who are coming across fighting for their lives and, and scare folks politically. It is an issue. Obviously, there are real politics involved when it gets to a place where in New York or anywhere else, this many people feel this way about it. But let's come together seriously in a bipartisan way on immigration and on the border. It's an issue that can be dealt with. But let's get the politics out of
1: it. The Biden administration's handling of the migrant influx: twenty-nine percent approved, sixty-four percent disapproved, Kara,
6: yeah, because he's doing a poor job. Uh, fiscal year 2023: three point two million inadmissible alien encounters. This is the highest on record. It's a, it's a it's an absolute record. It's it's crazy. I'm sorry, that's three hundred forty-one thousand over that in aliens encountered, um, but 3.2 million in the country now. It means his policies aren't working. And no one's demonizing these no. people. I mean, the mother, my mother's that. side of the no. family they, oh, came from, from Mexico and Latin American right. countries, and we no. understand no, there that not. there are people at times in interest, but that's not always the case here. 3.2 million. I'll say that figure again. A hun- nearly 170 suspected that. terrorists have tried to enter the country exactly. this year alone. You know how many in 2020 before Biden took office? 3 well right. th- those Three, numbers are misleading. Right. that's that's oh, that's Biden not, policy that, that's a nation
5: misleading. is dis- defined by its Borders. We we are a sovereign nation. And when we make those borders porous, I do agree with you, Dan. And in fact, no a lesser Republican than Ted Cruz has basically said very similar things. We do need more administrative capabilities. I reconsider capabilities. my remarks in
7: that case. Well, <laughs>
6: that's
5: most unfortunate because I would expect better of you. And, and, and Ted Cruz said that we need more administrative judges and more capabilities at the border. You are correct in that. But we cannot have a porous border. And what the Biden administration did was literally let materials rot, let contracts go paid with no work done. Now they're calling for some amount of wall to be built. This is this is not serving the needs and interests of the American public, nor indeed of the vulnerable people coming here, thinking they're going to get better than so they will are. So
7: there'll be no campaign ads with caravans and scary, you know, uh, font. Of course, there will be, because will. it's
3: a political issue that yes. works for the Republicans. Yep. Of course it is. And they there's came under Trump, too, not. by the that way. He just come held them in Mexico, by the way. There's That's why those numbers are misleading. All right. They held them in Mexico. Meantime,
1: it's been more than eight months. I think there's some who would push back on that.
3: Okay. You including
1: but, me. But, we got to Including We, we don't. And, we and don't. And we don't I really need to get to Elizabeth. Ahead. It's been eight months uh, <laughs> since the toxic train derailment, of course, and another huge story in East Palestine, Ohio. The costs related to the incident continue to pile up, now reaching close to $1 billion. Elizabeth Vargas, Uh, you're going to be talking about this on your show tonight.
6: Yeah, we have some exclusive audio of a local EPA administrator admitting that they waited too long to start testing in the area for toxic chemicals. And that the all clear given three days after they burned all that uh, all those chemicals in that train derailment. Uh, The all-clear was given too soon for folks to go back into their homes and into that hometown. So we're going to have a full report on this exclusive report. And also Mm. we're going to have Erin Brockovich here on the show to weigh in. She's been really active in this. Obviously, that's how she gained fame, uh, was by fighting uh, corporate uh, toxic poisoning in communities. So we're going to have her weigh in on what's been found in our exclusive reporting tonight on this uh, EPA administrator admitting mistakes, big mistakes might have been made. Yeah.
1: Looking forward to it. Uh, Elizabeth, thank you. We'll see you in about seven minutes time. Of course, you can watch Elizabeth Vargas reports six o'clock Eastern right here on News Nation. But before then, a big state dinner at the White House tonight. President Biden hosting the Australian prime minister. But the White House is actually scaling back a little bit. We'll, We'll explain why. And do you know what's on the menu? I'll show it to you.
5: I just want to say that I watch you a lot, and I'm grateful that you're there. You add so much
2: value to this job and this position. I've watched you more now than ever before. News Nation is very, very lucky to have you.
1: All right, so in a few hours from now, the White House will host the state dinner for the Australian prime minister. But there won't be as much pomp and circumstance because of the ongoing war in the Middle East. Here was the First Lady Jill Biden.
5: And while we had initially planned for the legendary B-52s to perform their iconic dance and party music, we are now in a time when so many are facing sorrow and pain. So we've made a few adjustments to the entertainment portion of the evening.
1: All right, so the B-52s won't be performing, but they will still be there as guests. By the way, some of tonight's menu includes butternut squash, uh, roasted beet salad, braised short rib, hazelnut, and chocolate mousse cake for ice cream or dessert. Sounds yummy. There's been a, a big, lot of big issues here. I'll leave you with a moment of levity. Earlier today in our team meeting, I was like, who are the B-52s?
3: Come on. <laughs> I said the same thing. Did you? All I, right, I There we go. i was gonna called my daughter. You kids. get all the tracks memorized. That's right, Rock Monster.
5: Oh love Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs>